0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. What better topic on Mother's Day than the book of Revelation, right? You know, dragons and serpents and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, if you're new, um, welcome to Awaken. We are, actually this is the last, uh, last teaching in a long series that we started 30 weeks ago. This is the 31st week in this series called Eat This Book. And uh, we, uh, um, we believe that the Bible is really, really important, that it has this divine um, quality to it, and so we figured if we were to eat this book, um, which actually is a reference to Revelation, ironically enough, um, if we were to eat this book, if we were to digest it, consume it, that it might, in fact, uh, have an impact in a... a um, a positive, in impact, and it might actually change us from the inside out. So that's kind of been what we've been up to. So just by way of review, um, you know, heaven, heavens, heavens, uh, we would hate to forget all the places that we've been thus far. So of course, the book start or the story starts in the book of. This is interactive. Please uh, feel free to chime in and, and say things. So, the book of Genesis, uh, the beginning of the story, God Creates Heavens and the Earth. Um, and quickly it moves... Did I spell that right? Genesis. Yes, okay. That'd be great, right? Thank you, theologian Pastor Micah. You can't even spell the book right. Um, so, begins with the story of Genesis and quickly moves to the deception of Adam and Eve where they are... Uh, they're told a lie, that if they eat this, this fruit, that they'll become like God, and in fact, they do become like God, but um, they, they begin to operate and sort of have access to information that really humans never were intended to have access to, um, which of course um, brings about the story of Abraham, or as it starts, Abram, and Israel. God uh, sort of interrupts the story and forms this group of people called Israel, who God will bless the whole world through. At the end of the book of Genesis, and this won't take quite as long, we spend a, few, a little bit on the first, uh, first book, but end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus, we get the story of Moses and the exodus of God's people from Egypt. And it's out of Egypt that they come and enter uh, this place called the land that God promises them. And in the land, the Israelites are looking around, they're wondering uh, how they do this thing called God's people and live that out, and so um, God sends them a group of people um, that might be called, you know, really important this last week in our culture, right? They're called the judges, very good, judges, Uh, and then uh, from there, the judges, uh, the the nation of Israel separates and becomes two different kingdoms, north and south, uh, where uh, God begins to send a group of people who have lots to say to Israel the prophets, and uh, essentially at the end of the Old Testament we find the Israelites being deported and sort of overrun by neighboring countries, and we have 400 years of silence where God doesn't really say anything. So that's the, the Old Testament in a nutshell, right? After which we have the the breaking in of uh, the person we just celebrated a couple weeks ago, and the answer is, thank you very much. Right, you've heard the one about the uh, the little boy and in, in, uh, the, the, um, the, the kids, kids. Uh, what do they call that? Uh, Sunday school class. The Sunday school class, the teacher says, what's uh, what's gray, has a bushy tail, eats nuts, and hides in trees? And the little boy says, I think I have an answer. Uh, It sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. So Jesus and uh, the Spirit of God is given to the church at Acts, and that begins the church, and then we have what we have here, which we just sang about the kingdom of God, which comes in its fullness. So this is the story of the Bible, basically in a nutshell. There's a guy named N.T. Wright, who um, who does some really good work and talks a little bit about if you break down this whole story into six different acts, A.C.T.S. Um, creation Israel or Creation Fall Israel Jesus the Church and then the Kingdom. So he talks about this idea of fifth act hermeneutics or Um, we as the church are in the fifth act. And so our process, our job, our role in this is reading the scriptures and and understanding and listening to what the Spirit's doing. And so we have this job of hermeneutics, this art and science of interpretation of listening to and finding where God is at and partnering with in, in hopes for, as we wait for, the kingdom of God which comes. So fifth act hermeneutics. This morning I want to tackle the book of Revelation. Now I recognize in. 30 minutes or less, this is going to be like way, way high level, not like really, really amazing, you know, um, intellectual, but high level, we can only do a broad sort of brush stroke of revelation, so if you leave, you know, disappointed in the fact that we didn't get down to, is it pre trip, mid trip, post trip? is it the millennial thing, is it, we're not going to do any of that today, so you can talk to me afterwards if you'd like the information on that. Hopefully, you kind of get where I'm going with this, but I'm curious if you would just kind of feedback a little bit. When, I, when I'm going to ask the question, we're, we're going to study the book of Revelation. What kind of things come to your mind? Just shout them out when you hear the book of Revelation. What do you, what do you think or what do you, what do you hear? The end, times. end times, okay. What else? Seven, times. seven, yeah, the number seven, definitely. What else? Seven churches, seven churches yep. What else? The four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, baby. Yes. What else? The rapture. The rapture absolutely. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Does anybody think religious wackos? <laughs> That's what I think of when I hear the book of Revelation. You know, people who, you know, and unfortunately, these people end up on billboards and with large microphones in front of them. But it's like you get some of the craziest Christian theology on the planet from this book. So hopefully, I, I, what I want to do this morning is just try to point you in the right direction as you might take this book on uh, and read it. Uh, so let me just uh, begin by just kind of breaking down the book. And I've sort of created a little map here for us, So if you want to put that up there. Um, and this is, this is very, very broad brushstrokes again. Um, but the book begins in chapter one with John's purpose. And he basically says what he's doing. And he's writing for these purposes. And we'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, It moves quickly to the seven letters to the seven churches. So chapters two and three are these seven letters written to seven actual churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, from there, chapter four is one of the sort of iconic chapters in the scriptures. It, it rivals, you know, some of the passages in Isaiah uh, and Ezekiel. Some of these big, you know, massive sort of enthronement language, where we see this picture of Jesus on the throne and the Lamb who is worthy, and sort of this this sort of exaltation of Jesus and this picture of who God is. So that's chapter four. And then and this is where it gets crazy. Uh, this is where it gets crazy. Then we have these series of judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bulls. And connected to that or sort of in, in the midst of that, chapters 12 and 14, is this kind of massive conflict between evil, uh, between good and evil. And we have this sort of battle, if you will. So you have the seven trumpets, seven seals, seven bulls. And then the last part of the book is really um, this great, uh, this, this fall of this term or this idea called Babylon. In Babylon is used as as a metaphor to sort of um, symbolize everything that is anti-kingdom, everything that's anti-Christ, everything that's anti-God is sort of wrapped up in this idea of Babylon. And Babylon falls. And then in chapters 19 and 20, we have this great victory, uh, this sort of cosmic victory of God. And then the last couple chapters of which Ed read a portion of is the the new heavens and the new earth. So this is Revelation kind of as a timeline in broad sweeping brushstrokes. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. Again, uh, we're not going to get into all the nitty-gritty theological implications of Revelation, but I want to just offer you a couple of do's and don'ts. So if you're going to tackle this book and you're going to read it, which is, it's, it's actually quite interesting. I mean, of all the books in the Bible, it's the most provocative. It's the most bizarre. Uh, it, it has the most um, imagery and some pictures that are just quite outlandish. But if you're going to tackle this on your own, here's a couple of don'ts. We'll start there. please. For God's sakes, don't do this, okay? And then if you do, or if you're going to read it, here's a, just maybe point you in the right direction on some ways in which you might read this and, and have some, uh, some fruit from that experience. Are you guys with me? Okay, so here we go. Here's a couple of don'ts. Um, number one, don't assume that the book of Revelation is all about the future, I think when we come to this text and we read it, most of us, how many of you, you know, like sort of, uh, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. This is futuristic, this is prophecy, this is all about the future. Um, I want to encourage you not to think of it in that way. Yes, it's prophetic. Yes, it has something to do with future, or yes, there are futuristic parts of the book. But that's not all that is in this book. That's not the only genre that's present, and we'll get to this in a little bit. In the book or in the Bible, there are different genres or different books fall into different genres, different categories. So you have, you know, in literary terms, you have history and you have, um, there's uh, sort of gospel or historical kinds of things. You have Psalms and Proverbs, wisdom literature, you have all kinds of different genres. And prophecy is not the only genre that's present in this book. So when you think about Revelation... I think one of the don'ts I would offer to you is don't come to it thinking that everything that you read in this book is all about things that haven't happened yet or that are going to happen in the future. Um, And I'll tip my hat a little bit. I would argue uh, that most of the prophecy in this book, most of the futuristic kind of language that's in this book actually has already happened. Um, I read Revelation and I read most of the things that talk about prophecy and future kinds of things. Because you have to imagine, right? John writes this book in somewhere between like, you know, 50, 60, somewhere A.D. So it's after Jesus, after his death, after his resurrection, before the fall of of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And Rome is in power. So the first group of people to get this book was living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They're trying to figure out how to be followers of Jesus amidst a culture and a a situation that is very anti-Christ or anti-kingdom. Not anti-Christ like one particular person, um, but anti-God. So they're trying to navigate this time and space, and so the things that were written to them or the prophetic things that they would have heard, I would argue have more to do with what happens in the first century as it relates to Rome than anything that we haven't seen yet. Okay? So first don't is don't come to the book thinking it's all about prophecy, it's all about the future, it's all about the end times. I would want to steer you away from that in some ways. Uh, number two, I would say don't go looking for a key or a guide to interpret all the symbols and all the images of Revelation. Okay? Um, some people will offer this idea that uh, you know, all of the symbols and all the images in Revelation, of which there are, it is, it, there are many, like you can't go but five verses before a new image or a new symbol is, is offered to you, and some people want to say, like, you know, create a little guide or a key. When you hear this word, it means this. When you see this picture, it means this. When you see this, it means that. When you see that, it means that. I want to just um, say, if, if you find people that are doing that, just go the other direction. Okay? Pray for them. Ask for, you know, God's mercy on their souls. And go in the other direction. When I was a junior high youth pastor, this will make a little bit more sense about asking mercy on their souls when I was a junior high youth pastor, I'm fresh out of college, right? I'm 21 years old. Uh, I just get married at 22. I get my first job. So I graduate from college. I get my first job and I got married all within a month, uh, a month's time. So I'm a junior high youth pastor. I'm fresh out of college and I'm, um, I'm a very impressionable young lad, but I still, I had more zeal then than I do now. Hard to believe, Right? So I'm just like, let's take the kingdom for Jesus, baby. You know, like let's get these kids, let's win them to the, win them to Christ. So I just come in with guns blazing and i and, and, and me, you know, my personality is like, you know, go big or go home, right? Let's teach these kids the Bible. Let's show them the scriptures. what better place to start? Revelation, baby! Like, either sex or revelation. That's going to drive your numbers up as a youth pastor, right? The kids will come to hear about sex. They're going to hear about revelation. So I just, like, jump in the deep end of the pool with these junior high kids, like 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. Oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I did this. And I am reading, like, just consuming, right, the the Left Behind series. You know, Tim LaHaye and Barry Jenkins (laughs) And so I'm not kidding you. This is the map that I made for these kids. This is it. I'm like, listen, kids, it's not that hard to get. It's like, you got the three letters, you got the seven letters, and then the tribulation starts. You got the first half. You got the second half. You got the abomination that causes desolation. That's A-T-C-D. You got the abomination. You got the seven seals, trumpets, and then the millennium, and then Armageddon. And I literally, I walked these junior high kids through this whole deal. And now I literally, I pray, God have mercy on my soul. I pray that these kids don't remember one iota of anything I taught them about the book of Revelation because, oh my gosh, it was brutal. It was brutal. Oh, God bless them. I've since given my, my left behind series to the thrift store. You know that, you know that one, right? When you go into the thrift stores, you go to the religious book section, and there's like a billion copies of that series there. <laughs> Pay attention to that, friends. <laughs> Essentially, what I'm saying is there's no silver bullet here, right? There's no guide. There's no this means that, that means this, this means that. Just don't do that. Okay? It, it's problematic on, on a lot of levels. Any Game of Thrones fans in the room? Any Game of Thrones folks? Okay, this is this unbelievable, epic novel series that's been written by this guy. It's set in the medieval times, and there's there's all these different houses, right? You have the House of Lannister and the House of So and So and the House of So and So. After the first book, this guy introduces, I'm not kidding you, like upwards of seventy five characters, and you have to try to like make sense and remember who all these people are. At the end of the book, if you look at the back, there's a guide, there's a key, and it'll say like the House of Lannister, Jamie, brother of so and so, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da, and all the houses, they're all listed, okay? That's not available for Revelation, so if anybody's saying that, just quietly, like, pray for them and move the other direction, okay? So, don't think about prophecy, don't think it's all futuristic, don't look for a key to interpret it, and I would I would encourage you, in light of that, don't zoom in to the book of Revelation, but zoom out. When you read the story and you read the, the, the book of Revelation, the further you can... <laughs> What? Oh, what did it say? Don't go. Tra- wow. Wow. I mean, that is good. Well done, everybody. I mean, a hand for our producers up front here, huh? That's dynamite. Don't go chasing waterfalls, baby. You're only going to get wet. <laughs> only at Awaken on Mother's Day. Um, so don't zoom in, zoom out. The further you can zoom out when you read the Book of Revelation, the better off you will be. Because what's really, what I want to submit to you are the things that are the takeaways, the things that can really produce life for us in 21st century, you know, uh, evangelical Christianity, are the broad themes and brushstrokes of the Book of Revelation. You know, I said jokingly a couple weeks ago, "Hey, we're going to tackle Revelation." You know, spoiler alert: Jesus wins. Honestly, like, zoom out, okay? That's more helpful than who's the, you know, the abomination that causes desolation. who's the Antichrist? Don't worry about that kind of stuff. Zoom out a little bit and look at the big themes of this book. Now, let me offer, so those are some don'ts. Let me offer a do, okay? How many of you uh, in real estate, you may have heard this before, the most important thing in real estate is location, 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 right? I want to suggest to you that one of the most important things you can can understand and have in your tool belt is genre, genre, genre when you come to the book of Revelation. Now, why do I say that? Um, There are a lot of things that are important when we study the scriptures. There are a lot of things that are going to produce fruit and give us life and sort of send us in the right direction as it relates to studying the scriptures. I would argue one of them is or one of the most important is genre. Context and culture might give it a run for its money, but those two things, genre and context culture, are so so vitally important because genre gives you the rules by which you play. When you come to the text, when you come to the Bible, this is not a this is not a book that's easy to understand. Let's be honest about that. There's all kinds of information in here coming from all kinds of literary types. For example, the Gospels and the Book of Acts, four, four of them. These are, the mo- these are the closest we get to historical data or a historical account in the entirety of Scripture. Um, some people think and they look back at the Old Testament and they would say Genesis is history. I would say no, it's not. Genesis and the Torah was written well after the fact and it's really a myth in the sense that myth, not like it's untrue, but myth in the sense that this is the Jewish people looking back and writing a cohesive narrative that helps them understand and find their place in the world as to who God is, who they are, and who the world is. So Genesis, the book of Genesis, is not setting out to do history. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, it is not in any way, shape, or form the author's original intent, I would submit, to tell us how exactly God made the earth and how long it took them. I say them, Holy Spirit, right? Uh, that's not the point. So it's not history. It's like, it's, it's oral, oral tradition and narrative that shapes and frames a group of people. In that sense, it's myth, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not true, but myth in the sense that it's a dominant narrative that shapes a group of people, okay? The Gospels, on the other hand, are the closest thing we have to anything historical. Luke even says it. I'm setting out to write a historical account of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, the the books of like Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, these fall in a totally different genre. I say all that to say, when you come to the text, you have to know what rules you're playing by because when you do, it eliminates all kinds of possibilities that aren't on the table because it's not in that genre. Does that make sense? So when you come to Revelation, what genre is present? If you would, uh, turn in the scriptures to the first chapter of Revelation, if you have your Bibles. 1st chapter of Revelation says this, "...the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ." Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it because the time is near. Verse four, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. In the first four verses, John gives you a couple of really, really distinct clues as to what genres are present in this book. The first word in the book of Revelation is apocalypsis or apocalypto, it comes from the Greek word apocalypse, and it means to unveil or to reveal. One of the genres present in Revelation is this ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature where the seer, John, is sort of transported, right? This is why people think he may have been on acid because he sort of gets this like bizarre vision, this sort of divine cosmic view of the world and the things that, are, things that aren't available to the natural normal eye. So apocalypse is present. If you go on in verse 3, John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this what? prophecy, right? So you have apocalyptic literature, Jewish apocalypse, very, very uh, uh, normal and present genre in ancient literature. You have prophecy, of course, of which we we know Isaiah, Jeremiah, da-da-da-da, Micah, bam! (laughs) So you have apocalypse, you have prophecy, and then John in verse 4 says, John, to the seven churches in Asia... This is, and, and then he says, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Does this ring a bell? Paul, in nearly every single one of his letters to the churches in the New Testament, begins with grace and peace to you in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have apocalypse, we have prophecy, and we have a letter. Now, this is why Revelation is so difficult, because all three of those are present and two of them, apocalypse and prophecy, are some of the most difficult uh, uh, genres to interpret in the entire Bible. Now, I want to wrap this up. Again, I told you it was going to be like really, really high level sort of overview. I want to wrap this up by asking this question. For us as 21st century hearers, what's the most valuable or what's the most important or what, what provides the most fruit when we're thinking about these three genres that are present, apocalypse, prophecy, and a letter. I think many times when Christians in in our day and age read this, we zero in on the whole prophecy bit, like it's the end times, what's gonna happen? How's it all gonna go down? Jesus wins, just stop there, okay? I don't think prophecy is the best thing to be trying to mining from this text. Some people go, oh, it's the letters, you know, the seven churches, you know, we're churches, which one of the seven do we relate to, da, 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 da. Surprisingly, I wanna say that Apocalypse is probably the most, the most helpful, the most fruitful for us to think about. And here's a couple reasons why. If you think about this as a letter, this was written to a group of people, seven churches. And actually, history tells us that the, the, the order in which the, the seven churches are noted, are, it's an ancient Roman male route. So the, the, the route that someone would have taken to deliver something to any of these cities is exactly the, the, the uh, um, layout in the book of Revelation. These were written to, to actual churches with actual issues with a lady named Jezebel who was a crazy false prophet. So, particular situations in which John is writing to. And I would submit that what John wrote applied particularly to them in their situation. It's dangerous when we cut and paste from that point and we say, oh, well, I, we identify with church number three. You know, we're, the, we're this church or we're that church. Sure, there may be some themes or some things that are going on in those churches or those letters to the churches, but to say, oh, that's us or that's us, wrong question. And when we ask the wrong questions, we shouldn't blame the text. We should blame the questions we're asking. So letter, maybe not quite as helpful. Prophecy, again, I've talked a little bit about this. I tend to believe most of the prophecy in Revelation had to do with the Roman Empire and what happens in the first and second century to to Israel, to the new Christian church that's budding in the midst of this sort of context and culture. Why apocalypse? By nature, apocalyptic literature gives you a view from the cosmic divine perspective. It's where this person is sort of transported and given access to that which is not natural, but sort of this divine view of the world and that which is happening. In the case of Revelation, we see the curtain peeled back and we see the outcome of this great cosmic battle between good and evil. We see a vision of the victory of Jesus Christ and all that Jesus accomplishes on the cross and through resurrection, taken to its fullest We see this vision of the eschatological kingdom of God, the thing that Jesus talks about, the rule and reign of God, heaven coming to earth and that being one experience, God's hopes and dreams being reality here on earth. So it's this vision of that. And this is what Ed read in chapter 21. It's the visions of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah of what would happen when God was on the throne again, when God made the world and put it back together again. This is the vision that we see and it's the vision that motivates us to love God and love the world. It's the vision that that confirms for us that self-sacrificial other-oriented kind of love actually wins in the end. It's the vision that gives the fertile ground upon which our theology and our living in the world actually grows. It's a vision that's general in one sense in that it's for all of the church and it's still out in front of us and yet specific enough to address these churches and and apply to them as well. Because this is what the Spirit does. It gives dreams and visions and pictures to particular people and particular churches about the way in which they most faithfully can live into and walk out this kingdom of God lifestyle in the world. And so I guess... As we close this morning, and as we close this series, I want to maybe just take the next few moments as we wrap up this morning and leave some time for us to listen. There's this refrain in Revelation, and it's, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. If this is what the Spirit does, it gives pictures and visions and dreams to the church, to the people of God about what does it mean to live into this call of following Jesus, knowing that, this is, that, that the end has been settled, that the kingdom of God will come. And, the, and, the, and we find the spirit over and over and over again in the text and in Revelation, creating this picture for the church and for particular people in the church about how to live into this. Then I guess I want to end this series by asking that question. And giving us time and space for just a moment to think and to pray and ask God, maybe on two levels. One, personally, is there a picture, is there a word, is there a vision that you would invite me into this morning, Holy Spirit? But secondly, is there a picture, is there a vision, is there a word that you would invite us into as a community? And so I'm not prescribing like how this lands with everybody in the room, but I want to create space to sort of enter into this process with those two questions in mind. So I'm going to ask Ben and the worship band to come. And uh, they're just going to play a little bit underneath. And we've done this before at Awaken, but this is something called cataphatic prayer. In the church tradition, it's this idea of engaging our imagination, trusting that the Spirit of God is at work and present in the church, and to the degree that we can see something in our mind's eye is the degree to which we become transformed by it. So Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so I want to just create some space here in the next couple of minutes. And I'm going to kind of lead you to a, po- to a point and then just trust that the Spirit's at work. And uh, if you would, uh, join me in that. So maybe bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever you need to do to kind of think and reflect. Uh, and let me just lead you for a moment and then trust that the Spirit's at work here today. We began with a reading from Revelation 21 where it talked about a new heaven and a new earth where the kingdom of God, the hopes and the dreams of God come and they become one with our experience as humanity and on this earth. Imagine if you would, what does it look like for you for the kingdom of God, for heaven, to come down and become a part of our experience where God's hopes and dreams happen? In our families, in our worlds, in our relationships. The Spirit of God is found all over the Scriptures, giving visions, giving dreams, pictures, words. Inviting the people of God to step into a reality that maybe doesn't exist by the naked eye. But when we faithfully follow Jesus, the kingdom of God comes and we see these glimpses of what the resurrection of Jesus makes possible. And so maybe just in the next few minutes, whichever question resonates for you more, God, is there a picture, a vision, a dream? for me that you're inviting me into or is there a picture a vision a dream for this community that you sense God inviting us into and just take a few moments and ask God that question Holy Spirit be near us may we have ears to hear and eyes to see the spirit and what you might be saying to the church Us online at www.awakencommunity.com, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken Community or on Twitter at awaken Community. See you next time.